0: You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton
1: Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. Galatians 3, verse 15. Last week, we saw that the the grace of God is so huge, bigger than an elephant, that its presence in our lives is, is undeniable. That's why Paul explained in the first half of Galatians chapter 3 that His Holy Spirit has been supplied in full measure, our history has been clarified by the fact that we are children of Abraham, heirs to the promises of God, and all curses will be justified. You want to you stake your claim on good works to get you to heaven, good luck, because it's going to lead to a curse. And now Paul turns his attention to the promise of God, the very thing the Galatians we're missing out on, right? They had, uh, they had the golden ticket of God's promised grace in their hands, but they weren't cashing it in. There's a story told of a a young man who was a street sweeper, and he would, uh, this young kid would sweep the streets out in front of these old shops, and he would greet all the shop owners when they came in to open up their shops every morning. And he would tell them with a smile on his face every day, he would talk about his one dream, which was to come to America, to buy a ticket and board a ship and make his way here you know with all the freedoms and promises that America had to offer so every morning early in the morning before the sun was even up he was out there sweeping and in would come the shop owners and in would be his you know his spiel about wanting to go to America well one day um, one of the shop owners a watchmaker had decided to be generous to this young man and so he had he had enough money uh, that he gave to that young man for a ticket and the young man was like no no I can't take this I can't, and he said, no, please, please take it. I wanna do this for you, so the, the young boy was excited. He gathered up all that he had, all of his belongings into a blanket, pretty much, and he went down to the wharf and boarded a ship, bought his ticket, went up, got on the deck, and was just so excited, found him a little corner to get in and make his little bed there, and he had enough rations and food for a little part of the journey. Well, it wasn't long into the journey that he ran out of food. I mean, he was starving. And but he thought to himself, you know, if I can just make it to America, I'll have all the freedoms uh, that America promises. And about that time, that night, as he was getting ready uh, for bed, about to bed down on the upper deck, uh, a ship steward came by, and the steward said, uh, "You know, what are you doing here?" And he accused him of being a stowaway. And he grabbed his stuff, and he goes, "No, no, no, sir, I'm not a stowaway. I have a ticket." And so he, he showed him his ticket, and and the steward said, "Well." I'm so sorry, but can I ask you why you're not in your room? He goes, oh, I only bought a ticket to to board the ship. I didn't buy a ticket for the room. He said, son, the room comes with your ticket. And so he had a smile on his face. He got up, gathered his stuff up, got his blanket, and began to make his way down the hallway to his room. And on the way, they passed by the galley and they, and they could see the, the dinner that the chefs were putting out on the tables. And the steward saw the young man looking at all that food and he said, you know, they, dinner starts in 15 minutes. And and that's also included in the price of your ticket. And the the man just, the young boy just grabbed that man and lifted him up off the ground and said, thank you, thank you so much, thank you so much. He goes, well don't thank me. Thank the one who bought your ticket. And I feel like so many times our salvation is taken as a reservation for the upper deck. You know, it's just fire insurance, you know, just in case. Gotta be good with the man upstairs. When if you've trusted in the promises of God, you've got a dinner, you've got more than just a reservation on the upper deck. And by the way, it's a ticket that's been purchased by Jesus Christ. William Carey said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. You may think this world seems pretty bleak. No, it doesn't. Because the future is as bright as the promises of God. I don't trust in what I see. I trust in the promises of God that I know that are. And our passage today is all about the promises and one in particular. And so I want us to read this together today. Galatians chapter three, verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, Unless you, you know, all our earthly illustrations kind of break down at some point, and Paul's saying, hey, uh, an earthly intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's the picture of baptism. All right, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. I want to ask Todd Baker to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. Let's
0: pray. Father, we love you, and Father, I thank you for the security that we we have in you. The uh, psalmist in Psalm 91 laid it out perfectly in my prayers that we are obedient to the word and that we uh, as a congregation and as the church get to uh, that point where we do live under the shadow of the God uh, of of the Lord Almighty. Father, we live in in a crazy uh, world right now, and uh, I also pray that um, through the uncertainty that we uh, do not um, stand back, that we do not um, falter on sharing the gospel with a lost world. Uh, can we do it in a way that uh, hallows your name so that we um, uh, are patient with people and uh, and we're un- we're able to um, to deliver this message like you would have us to deliver it Father, I pray for went today I pray that the message that he delivers that we hear it that we try to understand it and father if we don't that this week we go back and and look at the message again so that we can truly understand what you're wanting us to get from it and that once again we can share that with the lost world. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you. Researchers say that there's 8,810 promises in the Bible. A guy went through every one of them. Now, some other people argue that. They say there's 3,000 because some may be repeated. And others say there's as many as 30,000. Those may include the repetitions. But either way, there's no doubt that the majority of those promises uh, are from God to mankind. Matter of fact, out of the 8,810 that one scholar went through, 7,487 of them were directly from God to mankind. So regardless of the number, the majority of his promises are made from God to followers of Christ. You know the old song? Standing, standing, standing on the of God, my Savior, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God. You know, Vance Havner said, uh, we... We're sitting on the premises when we should be standing on the promises, right? And that's how a lot of us are. There, are. there are promises of God, and there's a promise mentioned today, and there's four attributes of this promise that I want to talk about. These are like distinctives. You could call them aliases of the same promise to the Galatians, and most certainly to us now. And the first of these is the irrevocable promise right? God's promise cannot be changed. It is firm. It is fixed. It is forever. And it is for you. Galatians 3.15 says to give a human example. Well, a human example of what, right? Well, if you back up one verse from last week's message, Galatians 3.14, he says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Paul's about to give a human example of that unchanging promise. And where does he go for the human example? He goes to the court of law, right? Which I guarantee you the Judaizers knew all about. So because they've been pressing their law, their legalistic, into their legalistic little robot minions, the Galatians, and they were all about it. So Paul meets them at the law to prove grace. Sometimes you got to fight fire with fire, right? Right? But interestingly enough, he actually begins by pouring out his heart to them, All right? Galatians 3:15. He calls them uh, the Galatians brothers. That's the Greek word adelphoi. It's a combination of adelphos, which means brother, and phileo, which means love. It's where we, the founder of Pennsylvania, uh, William Penn. Uh, name, got the name of Philadelphia, which means the city of brotherly love. One professor said, although the Galatians were confused, foolish and bewitched, and although Paul felt betrayed, perplexed and forlorn about them, still they were his Adelphoi brothers. They were his family. Families fight, families disagree, but they're still family. And so two things Paul mentions about his, this irrevocable promise. First, it was set All right, let me explain this. The argument could have been made and seems to have been made that Abraham's promise was given to him way before the law of Moses, all right? Y'all know Abraham lived around 2000 BC and then about 500 years later, 450-ish years later, around 1450, 1500 BC, uh, comes Moses and the law, right? So the Judaizers believed, well, if the law of Moses Came afterwards, then it changed God's covenant with Abraham. So Paul takes a page out of the law to combat the law. In verse 15, he says, Even with a man made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Right? The word translated as man made covenant is another one of those combo words. Diatheke, it means it's the combination of dia, meaning thoroughly which then serves to intensify the titheme, which means place or set. So it literally means fixed, unchanging, set agreement. Scholars explain it: it is uh, having complete terms determined by the initiating party. Remember, we read that, which also are fully affirmed by the one entering the agreement. The agreement wasn't between us. It was between God and Christ. The promise was to Christ. Right, so he and so God (laughs) wrote it and initiated it. He was both sides of the contract. It's the same word translated as will or inheritance in Hebrews nine sixteen. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death. Right there, this word means the legally binding final directions of the deceased. Right, the inheritance. Now, it also signifies uh, in, some, uh, in some cultures an ancient Near Eastern covenant which required a sacrificial animal in order to be enacted, right? So maybe God used the word to give both connotations of the binding of the covenant and the blood that enacted it. But the point is, the will is fixed. It's been ratified to contest God's grace is to contest the will and testament of God just because the promise preceded the law doesn't make it void once a last will and testament's drawn up you know all kinds of things may occur before the person dies but it doesn't change the will now earthly wills can be contested but if they're done right they're going to hold up in a court of law There's a a famous man named Frank Sinatra. You may know him as the famous NASCAR driver. I was just testing the young people. Do y'all know who Frank Sinatra is? Anybody want to say who he is? Do you know who he is? Well, I know you know who he is. I was just testing. All right. Well, he was one of the most famous singers, obviously, in the 40s. A 50s, 60s entertainer sold over 150 million records. Well, when he died, listen, he had a very interesting will. Uh, he, of course, was a very prolific man. He had children by four different women, and so he knew that those children were going to come together. And you, if you've lived through a will, you you know you you meet cousins you never knew you had, right? And so he put a little uh, a, con- a concession in his will a provision that if any recipient contested the will, they were cut out of it automatically. (laughs) So, I mean, it's brilliant. I'm going to write that in um, (laughs) today. Paul says the promise of God to send a savior through the family tree of Abraham who would rescue the world from sin, from the curse of the law is set. It is fixed. It cannot be changed. You can contest it, but that ain't going to end well for you. Well, second, it was signed. The promise of the coming Messiah was ratified and rendered by the hand and the heart of God. Verse 16 now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. So the promises were made to Christ. That's the point of the covenant. God's saying, You didn't have anything to do with this covenant. I wrote it, I signed it, I wrote it to myself. God wrote it, Jesus signed it. I hope that gives you comfort. That's not supposed to give you, it's not the exclusivity like, oh, you can't get in. This is Him saying, no, I have everything to do with it. It's pretty clear. God made it, He fulfilled it. There's no changing. Those, those Judaizers, they wanted to go back to works, they wanted to go back to an easy way. Let's just check box, a little check box religion. Show up at church for an hour on Sunday. Right, and that's it. No relationship going on there, no conversations with God, no crying out, no fellowship, no commitment. Abraham, by the way, didn't make a covenant with God. Did y'all know that? Abraham didn't make the covenant with God. God made the covenant with Abraham. <laughs> Matter of fact, if you read Genesis fifteen, Abraham was sleeping during part of the covenant. Read it for for yourself later. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. This is why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. He's saying, Hunter, this is why you worship because all the promises are yes. Y'all know what it's like to be a grandparent, don't you? Yes. That's what it's like to be a grandparent. Yes, what do you want? Yes. 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 I don't care if your mom said it's right or wrong. Yes. I don't care how it inconveniences your mom and dad. I put up with them. You can have whatever you want. Amen. Only the grandparents. Amen that. The other people are like, I don't know about that. Friend, it's not just that you have a set document, right, in your hands that says you get it all. You got a signed will that says it's all coming to you, meaning the grace of God. That document is signed and affirmed by the same God who made it. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours, all right? I actually, we're his. The contract hasn't changed. Listen, friend, if the contract had changed, we'd all be dead. If you don't believe me, Malachi chapter three, verse six. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore, Meaning, because I don't change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, which we've established we are the children of Jacob, are not consumed. If God changed, we'd be dead. We couldn't last a single moment without the irrevocable promise of grace through faith. Well, the second alias is the superior promise, right? The, the, uh, Paul already explained that the law given later uh, can't change the promise that was set and signed by God previously but what if the law was better what if the law was so awesome you know the promise had been made to Abraham but 450 years later came the law well, what if the law was so incredible that it kind of overshadowed the old promise y'all this wasn't a joke in Exodus 19 Israel camps out at the, at the the base of Mount Sinai and Moses goes up and when he comes down it's like I'm getting chills talking about it God's presence he says hey y'all <laughs> I've been up there God's about to come down on this mountain and so he gives them some instructions that God gave him in Exodus 19:12. take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death I mean it's just a mountain don't touch it Verse 13, when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out to the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. The people trembled. The mountain trembled. I'm trembling, right? Big deal. Of course, God called Moses up the mountain, you know, and then he gave him the Ten Commandments. You can read that over in Exodus 20. But every time I read Exodus 19, I'm I'm trembling. That was a God moment. The law was given by God, and it was a good thing. It was incredible. This was a radical, forever talked about moment, right? But was it greater? Was that holy, incredible moment superior to the promise? Galatians 3.19 says, why then the law? Well here's the here's the answer. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. That's Jesus. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now there's two words to mention here, which I believe highlight the superiority of the promise over the law. First, the law was temporary. The law was, Galatians 3.19, added, listen, until the offspring should come. Verse 23, imprisoned until the coming faith should be revealed. Verse 24, our guardian until Christ came. So the key words, until. The law was never meant to be forever. The law didn't exist before the promise of God or control after the promise of God. Now, I know the Bible says the law of God was written on our hearts, but that's the conscience, the the Holy Spirit's conscience in us to do what's right. We know what's wrong. That's Romans 1. Permanent promises are not inferior to limited laws. Second, second. It was third party. It was temporary, but it was also third party. The law wasn't given directly to the recipients. Galatians 3.19, it was put in place placed through angels by an intermediary. Now, this can be confusing because if you go back to Exodus 19, there are no angels mentioned in that passage on Mount Sinai But if you read a lot of these other scriptures, it alludes to angels in reference to the giving of the law. So maybe Moses went up the mountain and angels somehow communicated God's message to Abraham in that smoke. All right. We'll never know. What we do know is that angels were involved because... Um, they're always mentioned in connection with the law being given. I'll give you some examples of this. Deuteronomy 33, verse one. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, the Lord came from Sinai. He came from the 10,000 of holy ones with flaming fire in his right hand. Then uh, later, David describes the Ark of the Covenant in Psalm uh, 68, verse 17. In association with angels. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai, meaning Mount Sinai, is now in the sanctuary. What does he mean? He means the ark, the ark of God at the time, was like a portable Mount Sinai that represented God's presence wherever Israel traveled, right? Hebrews 2, verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. And maybe I think the most clear is uh, in Stephen's famous message at his stoning in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, where he says, You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So, what's the big deal about the law coming through intermediaries? Well, The late Stephen Neal, scholar and former missionary to India in the 1920s, explained it this way. The promise came to Abraham firsthand. The law comes to the people third-hand. God, the angels, Moses the mediator, and the people. And listen, even if you wanna refute angels' involvement on Mount Sinai, which I don't think you should because of the verses I gave, but if you do, it still didn't come direct it would have still come through Moses. Have y'all thought about this? Have you, have you thought about the Old Testament separation from God? After the Garden of Eden, God took a step back from sinful man. And so there are always these intermediaries until Christ. Now the Bible says, come boldly unto the throne of grace. You People trembled to even get near the mountain where God was at. Now we don't. He says, don't tremble. Come on in. Come into my presence. Do you see how intimate our God is? There is no God in any other world religion like our God. Direct promises aren't inferior to mediated laws. Permanent promises are superior to limited laws and direct promises are superior to mediated laws. Church, the promises of God are permanent and they are personal, given directly to you. The irrevocable promise, the superior promise, and third, the preparing promise. Paul says in Galatians 3.21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not, right? The law wasn't contrary to grace. It was cooperating with it, right? The law complements grace. Church, listen. The law has and is and will always be a tool in the hand of the Lord, in his heavenly workshop, to guide us to grace. The law prepares the promises of God, and it does so in two ways, all right? First, it's setting the stage. You know, a diamond obviously shines brighter if it's against a black backdrop, right? And the law is is like that black backdrop. It makes the diamond of God's forgiveness and grace stand out. It sets the stage of God's kindness and forgiveness. Yesterday, my wife and I, uh, who serving in the back right now, we celebrated our 20, we literally yesterday, 28 years ago, got married. Yeah, that's good. I'm clapping for me, not for her, but I hear you. And we, we stole out of town for a minute, but used to when we lived in New York, uh, when I was uh, working on my master 's on our anniversary, I would take her down to New york City and in New York City, they used to have the uh, T- what they call TK booths These were cheap places to get Broadway musical tickets there was a There was one in the Twin Towers we used to go in there all the time in the Twin Towers and another one on Times Square. You could get cheap cheaper uh, Broadway tickets and so I took her to a lot of plays when we lived it, went, lived there and I always uh, loved in between the, the sets. You know, I love engineering and I love set design and all that stuff. It was interesting to me, that part of it. And, uh, you know, the lights would go dim and all these stage hands would scurry about, you know, Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera. You know, they're moving these huge, elaborate pieces out onto the stage, right? So they're they're preparing for the next act. Church, the law was and is God's stagehand setting up the final act for him to pour out his grace on us. And so what props were needed for the final act? The revelation of our sin. Law doesn't make us sin, but it reveals our sin and our guilt. Romans 3.20 says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the law set the stage, but what was the final act? Well, that's the setting free. The final act is setting us free. The law set the stage and the promise set us free. Galatians 3.22 But the scripture, listen to all these words of captivity. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Now, why would he say sons of God? But, but now you're, you were under a guardian, but now you're sons of God. Well, that's because of the word that's key to understanding all this, and that's that word guardian. It's the word where we get our word pedagogue, which a pedagogue is a teacher or a schoolmaster, you know, a, a, a disciplinarian, all right? Matter of fact, in that day, a young child's guide or guardian, his pedagogue, would, would be with him from, and he was uh, from like age 7 to 17. And he was usually more than a disciplinarian. He was like very strict and he was usually a slave himself, like hired hand or a forced hired hand of a family to make their kids obey, get their kids to school. That was a guardian, right? Right. J.B. Phillips said they were like a modern equivalent of a strict governess. Stott says he was often harsh to the point of cruelty and is usually depicted in ancient drawings with a rod or a cane in his hand. Ancient Christian writer Theodore of Cyrus noted that the students are scared of their pedagogues. The 1980s version of the NIV, the one I grew up with, I think captures this kind of higher strict disciplinarian idea when it translates this, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. And that's not a bad translation, so long as we don't misunderstand that the keeping of the law, listen, the keeping of the law doesn't guide us to grace. The breaking of the law that it reveals guides us to grace. When you try to keep the law, you figure out real quick you can't, and that's what leads you to grace. Do you understand? That's the equipping of the law. Students by the way that were under the, the discipline of the law usually like rejoiced when they turned 18. You know, when they got out from under the, that that heavy strict guardian with all their rods and their rules. The law was wedged in between the promise of grace and the fulfillment of grace for the purpose of both revealing our sin and highlighting God's forgiveness, right? Friend, there is no grace without the law. By the way, parents, if you don't have any law in your home, then you're not gonna be able to teach grace. You have to have some rules and some guidelines. You have to have some parameters or you can't teach grace. What are you gonna, what are you gonna allow your kid to do if you let them do everything? It was because, and I've got so many stories of this from my own godly father where he showed grace to me, but it was because I was consistently disciplined and loved and guided, right? But then when the grace came, I knew, I knew what I deserved and I knew what I wasn't getting, right? Well, the law cooperates with grace. They cooperate with each other to complement God's amazing grace there's the irrevocable promise there's the superior promise uh, and then there's the preparing promise and then last I'll end with this there's the effective promise all right two reasons the promise was effective when the law was not right first the law could not can it could control but it could not clear us right? The law could control, but it couldn't clear. Exodus 23 verse 7 says, I will not acquit the guilty. I will not justify the guilty, right? The law helped control behavior, but it could never stop bad behavior fully. We've talked about this before, about the speed limit in Piperton, 45 miles an hour. That's why y'all only go 50 when you come through here, right? If there was no 45 mile an hour speed limit, you wouldn't go 50. You're still breaking the law, technically, right? But at least you're not going 150. So the law does control behavior somewhat, but control behavior isn't enough, to get us to heaven. We need forgiveness. And so secondly, the law could direct but never connect, all right? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? The law may point us in the right direction, but there's a wall there that stands between us and God. And that wall is sin. It's like building a brick after brick, every sin we commit, every good thing we don't do that we should, every bad thing that we shouldn't do that we do, just bricks and bricks of barrier and barrier. You don't believe me? Just spend uh, 20 years of your life in a failed marriage and and just keep treating each other poorly and poorly and pretty soon you don't even know the other person. Some of y'all have lived through that. You know this. You think it's different with God? You think you can just sin against him and you'll just all oh, chummy chummy Sunday morning, woo, praise Jesus. No, there's a barrier there. It's actually a good barrier. It's actually like your ankle swelling up when you twist it. Good thing it swole. It'll keep you from hurting yourself any further. Sit down and let that let that thing heal. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted. Garment, like the veil before the Holy of Holies, we can't go in. But Galatians 3:27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. It's the idea of changing clothes. Amen. Friend, you have a new wardrobe in Jesus. He's the ultimate divine fashion designer. Romans 13:14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I picture Joseph putting that coat on, uh, Joseph's dad putting that coat of many colors on him. I picture the prodigal son coming home in Luke chapter 15 verse 22 where the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. But also picture the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22 verse 11 where Jesus said, the king came in to look at the guest. He saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless (laughs) because he didn't have an answer. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's obviously a parable. God's explaining hell. you got to have the right garment to get into heaven. And guess what? We've got it. And guess who paid for it? (laughs) You didn't put it on your credit card, friend. He cashed out with his own life to buy that coat to buy that robe that you're gonna enter heaven in, the righteousness of Christ. Galatians 3.29 says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to what? What? Promise, you're heirs according to promise. Paul says the promise is better than the law in every way. It's irrevocable, it's superior, it's preparing, it's effective. And its glorious distinctives will never stop. Let me tell you something. Satan promises the best, but he pays with the worst. He promises honor and he pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure, he pays with pain. He promises profit and he pays with loss. He promises life and he pays with death. But our God, (laughs) our wonderful watchmaker, He's given us the ticket. And he paid for it with his own blood. And he delivers on all of his promises. Hey, friend, listen. Pick up your blanket and get the heck off the deck. Go down and enjoy your room and enjoy that feast of God. And stop meandering around all these riches, sitting out in the storm when God's promised you shelter. Pick up your blanket. Trust in Christ. Would you stand? Father God, we love you and we praise you. And boy, our emotions can fool us. They can just, they can tell us we're nobody, which without you we are. (laughs) But you have redeemed us. Those who have called on the name of Christ, you have redeemed us. And we now rest in your promise. We stand on them. Just like those Israelites standing at the base of the mountain where, where you showed up. It was a holy moment, God, but it's it can be holy every day here because you've taken away the veil. You've taken away the, the priestly system. The temple and tabernacle are gone. And we can come straight to the throne of grace and say, God, I want your promise direct. No mediator, just me and you. Thank you for giving us that privilege tremble at the honor of that privilege that we don't sing through people we don't pray through people we pray to you we sing to you lord i pray that there's anybody here today that hasn't called on you for salvation they do it now they would understand the personal nature that you have your desire to connect with them and to tear down the wall that stands between you and them of sin with your own righteousness through the grace of jesus christ Call out to God and he'll save you. You can come down here today and make that public and be baptized. I also pray that if there's others here today that want to make their commitment to serve through this local church and be faithful in exercising their gifts, Ephesians chapter four, through the local church, that they would do it and be members of Piperton as a church family so that they can serve you better and more faithfully. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.